Please be seated. Most of you uh, probably know or have seen that we have an English shepherd named Missy that we adopted from a farm. And Missy has a habit every day of going outside in the afternoon and laying on the driveway and looking down the driveway for everyone to return at the end of the day. And when the last person returns, she comes in and joins us. This is a remarkable kind of shepherding instinct. And it's grounded in this like natural hope that this animal is somehow instinctually owns. It's a remarkable thing to watch. And when kids go back home or back to school or people go on vacation, this is one sad dog. Mopes around the house, depressed for days sometimes. Just that sheer expectation and hope that is within her. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And hope, as I wrote in the pastoral email this week, is this really strange mystery. The fact that we live in time makes possible this mystery of hope, of yearning for the future. The sense that time is unfolding and there are things to be expected. And it's nearly impossible not to have hope or to hope for things, to hope for holidays, to hope for good weather, to hope for marriage, to hope for um, reunions with friends, to hope for friends. I mean, there's this whole way our lives are generated by an expectation of the future. The early church theologians and throughout the church's history found it helpful to distinguish between two kinds of hope. So the first kind of hope is a passion of hope. Perhaps this was exercised by our dog, Missy, looking down the driveway expecting people to come home. It's just natural. It's inbuilt. You don't have to think about the things that we often long for or desire in life. They just come to us. But then there's a second type of hope which the church labeled a virtue. It is something we practice as a community. It is a gift from God that we set our hearts upon and devote ourselves to. And the distinction is necessary because if you can imagine for a moment that the hopes that we have that are passions can be elusive and they can be evil, they can be wrong, they can just simply fail to come to pass. Tyrants hope to win wars. Criminals hope not to get caught. So the passion of hope is quite complex. And we get into this whole Christian idea of walking through life. We have to be attentive to our hopes. And our readings today, all of them except these rather strange passages in Luke, attune us and incline us to virtues and practices of hope. So I want to open those up for us a bit today and reflect on hope. This long scene in Habakkuk kind of sets up the psalm. The righteous prosper, they surround, or sorry, the, the wicked prosper, and they surround the righteous. And over and over again, the prophet asks, how long will we wait? And God gives Habakkuk a vision and says, here is the vision, wait for it. That's that idea of a gifted promise. We have hopes for this kind of material, immediate um, relief. And God says, hope in the vision, hope in me. Psalm 37, in fact, is a long meditation grounded in, it's kind of its backbone is grounded in hope. 
And so I want to spend the next few minutes simply unpacking Psalm 37 today and its visions of hope. So a little background on Psalm 37. It is um, a wisdom psalm. And the reason it's labeled a wisdom psalm is there are no liturgical or musical markings in it. Many of the psalms, most of the psalms, have markings for singing and chanting. But Psalm 37 does not have those. It's also an acrostic poem. So that means that it proceeds through the alphabet with each line. Or in the case of Psalm 37, it's every other line that you get the next letter of the alphabet. It's nearly identical to Psalm 112, also an acrostic wisdom poem, and Proverbs 31, also an acrostic wisdom poem, psalm. And these, all three of these passages are acrostics, they overlap, they have the same verses repeated in similar forms. And the idea seems to be not that they were primarily used in musical worship, but that they were taught and memorized by the use of the letters at the beginning to kind of encourage the progress of the psalm. And so Psalm 37 today is a psalm much like uh, Psalm 112 and Proverbs 31 about living wisely. How do I navigate life in a fallen world? How, especially in Psalm 37, do I live when the wicked prosper? When the world on my horizon is filled with uncertainty. And Psalm 37 seeks to answer that. So I'll simply draw out three aspects of that psalm. And much of it simply just orbits around this idea of the virtue of practiced hope. One, fret not the wicked or those who do evil, verse 1. Wrongdoers or evildoers, it's hard to translate. Essentially, don't fret when those who go about doing wrong and evil and wickedness surround you. Only that word should not be fret. It is not fret. It is quite clearly and decisively anger. So why does the English translation say fret? David Smith, who I hope is napping at home, and I had this conversation this week. Once the King James puts a word into use, publishers are very reluctant to depart from it. It's true. But throughout the commentaries, you can go look. We have a dozen or so in the office. They all remind us that the word means burning anger. It's bitterness. It's rage. Do not be angry. I think the NASB does okay. The Catholic, uh, the New Catholic Bible gets it right. Don't fume. There's courage in that translation. They don't really care about the King James, the Catholics. But that's much more true to what the psalmist is saying right in the first verse. Don't get angry when the wicked prosper. This kind of seeded bitterness when we see injustice in the world that rises up in us and becomes anger. And we should all recognize this immediately in the last decade or so. I mean, I can't tie it, but if we haven't all watched the rise of rage in American culture, Agree or outrage, that's the offer given to us. And and social media and technology just push it out at a rapid pace. Do you agree? If not, rage. I was in this dialogue about a year ago online, which you shouldn't do, and there's really good things to them. And this is this dialogue that was sharing a sermon by Tim Keller, an essay he'd written on grace and forgiveness, you know, in in a moment of American kind of of division. 
And so I wrote in and said, there's another theologian who wrote a book this year on grace and forgiveness, and it's quite beautiful. And the next person, who I don't even know, wrote in and canceled the theologian. Conversation dead. So I said one more line. But we're talking about grace and forgiveness. <laughs> and no one would answer. You know, dozens and dozens of followers on this little thread. Done. Outrage or agree. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, we read the psalm and say, well, I'm not angry at the wicked, but it's there. It's all around us. We're taught it. We're nurtured this kind of rage at political parties, at other people, at any kind of opposing set of ideas. And right there, the beginning of hope is fret not. Don't get angry. Stop your bitterness and your fuming. Wait for the Lord. The beginning of hope is controlling the emotions of anger that well up inside of us and the bitterness. Three times the psalm returns to this statement, fret not or be not enraged. And in all three times it comes back and says, wait. This partner in hope to not being enraged is patience. Be still, my soul. That's opening long hymn that Martha selected for us today. A long meditation on be still. Each line observing some other aspect of the world that's not in order. Be still, my soul. A meditation on peace. So first, don't be enraged, wait. Second, delight in the Lord. Now I'll connect these as we go along. They are connected. The, the content of our waiting of our hope isn't empty. It's not like we tell a child in the car when we're on a road trip somewhere, just wait. We have to fill out the waiting with content. We'll be there soon. We'll stop in a while. We'll get in the pool at the hotel or whatever it is we try and fill the waiting process with. And that is the filled content of waiting in Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Hope is generated, it's fueled or kind of nurtured by constantly reorienting our hearts not from rage, but to delight in God. Now, very shallow or quick reading of Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Sounds like a, a blank check, doesn't it? I just delight in the Lord. He'll give me the health and wealth that I desire. But the fact that we're all sitting here where we are in life, I think we all agree that doesn't actually work. And the psalm's quite complex. It's a wisdom psalm. There's riddle-like effect to many of its sayings. And the point here is this, that if you delight fully in the Lord, you can't for very long delight in those things that are not good. To delight yourself into the Lord is to delight in goodness and beauty and truth and justice and purity and glory and love. And you can't for very long have the desires of your heart be whatever they would be. There's a purging, transforming effect to delighting yourself in the Lord. The psalm goes on to say that those who are meek delight in the peace of the Lord. Or later it says the Lord will establish those who delight in his ways. The psalm is bringing us back, it's exactly like the first hymn today, back again and again to delight in the Lord and his ways. The, the content, if you call it that, of hope is continually reflecting on the Lord and his goodness. 
So I put this before you as a question or a challenge. Kind of asked it at the men's retreat last week. When was the last time you spent time, more than a minute, reflecting on the beauty and goodness of the Lord? To delight in Him. You know, if hope seems hard, it could very well be because we haven't trained for the race. Joe's out running a marathon today, I think, Joe Dill. You have to train to be ready to run the race, which means we have to practice delighting in the Lord. So it drew me to this first hymn today to sit and walk through the many gifts and graces and attributes of our God. When was the last time you sat and thought about how deeply and dearly he delights in you? That he knows every fiber and molecule in you and every thought you have, and he cherishes them. That he so loves this world that he has made that he has devoted itself to it through the death of his son to rescue it. That he can make sunsets and the changing of leaves. There's so much to delight in in the Lord, to nurture and feed us in the season of waiting. And so we must practice it together. Don't be angry. Wait. Delight yourself in the Lord. And three, be generous and lend. I read that from Deuteronomy 15 today. What in the world does that have to do with hope? Psalm 37, 25. Towards the end of our psalm, we didn't have enough space to put the whole psalm in the bulletin today. But if we'd read... As it went along, it has this very proverb-like saying. I was young and now I am old. And I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor the needy begging for bread. But he is ever generous and lends. And his children are blessed. What do the righteous do in response to the hope within them? They give. They exercise hope. We had this conversation in our home this week about how faith relates to hope. Faith are those things that I'm convinced of that the God of the world has declared. And hope is extending it out in time before me in actions of love. Theologians have long said hope is that rope, that pull behind me that puts me back into action in the world. And so the psalmist encourages us as we lean forward in hope to be generous to those around us. And it should be obvious why. If my world is not fixed on my passions in this world, but my delight is satisfied by the Lord and His goodness, I have no need to cling to the things in my life. Generosity is a natural fruit of hope. If I set my life up in all the good promises of God, of everything He has laid up for me in Christ Jesus, and why would I cling to the things in this life? I can be generous. Generosity is the practice of hope. If you want to be a hopeful person, delight in the Lord and give your stuff away. Give yourself away. Give your time away. And hope in the Lord. Don't be angry, but wait. Delight in the Lord. And give. I'll connect this briefly as we close to this passage in Timothy now, Timothy is being timid in his preaching, timid in his ministry, and Paul says to him, preach the word with certainty. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of which you're ministering. And then he comes back, look at my example. 
that I preach without shame the gospel of Christ, and I suffer for it. For I know whom I have believed, and I am confident that he will guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Hope. Timothy, we will suffer in the present, but build up hope and preach the gospel because you believe in the one who will guard until that day what is entrusted to you, that deposit of faith. Hope guides us on in the proclamation, the living out of the gospel together. I was young and now I am old. I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his children begging for bread. If you heard that and said, wait a minute, that's not true. I do want to speak to that honestly as we close. How many of you would raise your hand and say, this is not true. The righteous suffer everywhere. The wicked prosper all around me. That's the whole point of the psalm. But the psalm is clever. It's a proverb. Who of you is old? I could maybe name one person who could make the claim to being old in here. All of us are still young. The point of the psalm is you have not waited long enough. Hope requires incredible humility. I was young and now I'm old. All of us have to turn and realize I haven't seen enough. My perspective on this world and its life and its economies and its politics are too small and too young to be definitive. It's a beautiful sense to that, isn't there? I haven't seen enough. So I can hope. I was young and now I'm old. I've not seen the righteous forsaken. That's Habakkuk's last line for us, isn't it? Does the vision seem slow? Yes. Wait for it. It will not delay. It will come to pass. Come, Lord Jesus, John tells us in Revelation. Come quickly. Amen.